Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Well, thanks for listening in today. And again, welcome back to JBL. Now, during our last two programs, while we were using the 1984 Women's Panel, we discussed Book Two of George Orwell's classic novel, 1984. Now, for our next two programs, I'm going to interrupt our discussion of 1984. And I think you will find the interruption both interesting and entertaining. Now, here's why. Currently, we are approximately in the middle of our three-week summer education program. Now, that might sound like a real highfalutin title, but it's really, it's summer camp. But it's not your ordinary summer camp. We have 119 teenagers between the ages of 13 to 18. They are here living on our campus, and they are being educated on how to live a well-rounded, abundant life. Now, it's a different kind of summer camp. In years past, I even directed summer camp. I mean, we're talking about decades ago. Before we had the, the college campus, we had to rent all these different facilities, and it was hard to get a good sports uh, area. It was hard uh, you know, to get the right cabins. It was hard to get the right living uh, quarters. We we had to uh, pay other people to cook food for us. And so, so now that we have the campus, it's, it's really much different. Our facilities are absolutely uh, just amazing to work with. This year also, though, we're trying out a new kind of scheduling. And we have some genius schedulers here on the campus. And uh, the students are giving a lot more opportunity to investigate and, uh, say, do different things. They have classroom time. They have outdoor time. They have uh, relaxing time. Uh, they also have the opportunity to do some, uh, maybe some artwork if they want to. They can do some mechanical kind of work with if they want to. They can even do some homemaking things, uh, you know, if they want to. And so basically uh, what we're really uh, striving to do is we're trying to get the, the students or we're really encouraging the students to build physical strength and endurance and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we want them to be very healthy, uh, you know, not be couch potatoes, not be, uh, you know, stuck on their device. Um, not that those things, uh, uh, sometimes you need to sit on the couch and sometimes uh, it's good to have a computer that you can search on. Really, people need to move more and the people need to be stronger. And uh, uh, so essentially what we did is we built... Uh, challenging obstacle course for them and uh, so they're being challenged on that and they have uh, they're being timed on how fast they can get through the course and of course uh, some are going to be really excellent at it and some are uh, maybe not going to be so good but they're going to have you know basically three weeks to practice and and um, uh, we're also doing a program called Ignition very early in the morning, and they're all getting up together. They're all in the gym together, and they're all learning a movement program where they stay in unison the whole time. And again, that's to get them up in the morning, get them awake, get their blood moving, 
and uh, even the instructors, I think, are, uh, are joining with them. Now, they're also uh, receiving instruction on how to become self-motivated. Uh, they're being taught the need for building strong, sterling moral character. They're given the opportunity to develop artistic skills, like we have painting classes. Some of our uh, people working in our art department are actually taking time, and they're teaching them painting. Uh, we have uh, one of our graduates that works for us. Uh, he uh, works uh, very efficiently with leather, and uh, he's teaching them leather-making skills. In fact, they're making journals, and I'll explain to you what that's for in just a minute or so. Um, in terms of homemaking skills, we have a... Uh, an expert baker teaching bread baking uh, for people. We have uh, we have volunteer chefs here. Of course, we have a chef that runs our kitchen anyway. And uh, there's a lot of cookies. There's a lot of bread. There's a lot of things being baked. We do believe in uh, using whole grain products, and so so they're getting uh, you know the best of the best. Uh, one of the other things that we're doing uh, this year a little differently, and it, this is what affects me, and it's going to affect you as well is uh, we are having uh, camp book clubs. And uh, so we want students to really learn to read and to read more and to read better. And so, so essentially what, uh, what uh, our schedulers did is they sent out notices to all the campers approved for coming. And they put a list of, I think it was nine different books on the list. And the students were encouraged to choose one that they would have to read while they're here at camp. And uh, um, I saw that list. They also requested volunteers to help uh, run these book clubs. And, of course, I could not resist. And the reason I couldn't resist is one of the books on there was Animal Farm by George Orwell. And, uh, you know, so, so I did volunteer to do a book club. And, uh, you know, that's coming. Uh, I'll explain more about that. Uh, in terms of writing, uh, they're, they're learning how to write by keeping a camp journal also, we're encouraging them how to be more effective in their Bible study. And essentially, uh, they have the opportunity to uh, do two lessons from the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. And as you've heard from Mr. Stephen Flurry on the Trumpet Daily, we're teaching them to write it out. And uh, they, have, they have a question, and they have a scripture that answers that question. And so they're going to be writing that out. And if they get one finished, they can go ahead and try and get the second one finished. And then, of course, we're also teaching them sports skills. And again, these are all instructor-taught. And I think uh, we're adding a new skill this year. We, we have softball, we have soccer, we have basketball. But, uh, but this year, I think we even have flag football, but uh, this year we're introducing uh, women's uh, touch rugby. And it's a, a much better game for the girls in the sense that uh, they can pass the ball backwards. And so uh, I was looking at some of it the other day, and it looks like a, a lot of fun. And so uh, th this Thursday night, there's going to be uh, you know, a lot of us from locally from the area are invited in to, uh, to watch uh, you know, a couple of sporting events. And so that's, that's really going to be a lot of fun. But this is all instructor-taught. Now, since I volunteered to help monitor a camp book club on George Orwell's classic book, Animal Farm, we did have our first getting to know you discussion session last week. And while I was preparing to do this, I actually discovered that the book Animal Farm is really a great introduction uh, for a better understanding of George Orwell's biggest classic, 1984. 
And so I thought of all of you, and I thought, how could we maximize this to benefit not only the students, but to benefit you? So I thought it would be really exciting for my book club campers to come on the radio with me and give us their thoughts on Animal Farm. Now, I thought this would also be really enjoyable for you listeners as well. So for the next two programs, we're going to interrupt 1984, and we're going to talk about Animal Farm. And uh, uh, I want to suggest that you obtain a copy of Animal Farm and read it before these programs begin to air. The first one will air on July 27th, the second one on August 3rd. Now, I really do believe that this book will help you better understand our August men's panel discussion of, and this is from Inside 1984, The Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism by Emmanuel Goldstein. Now, that's all, it's, it's all novel. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the fiction of the book. But I know when, when I read 1984 several times, it's still, I didn't understand what he was trying to get across. But I think I understand it better now after reading Animal Farm. Now, the one thing about Animal Farm, where I think you can do this, it's only 10 chapters. And it's also, it's written uh, like an Aesop's fable. Uh, maybe you could say it's written as a fairy tale. In fact, the original title of Animal Farm is Animal Farm, a fairy tale. And so so he put it in the genre of a children's book, and uh, Orwell did that. And I think it's a genius it was a genius move on his part to do that, and we're going to talk about that, uh, you know, as we go through this program today. So, uh, uh, so essentially, what I want to do for today's program is I want to give you some brief background to George Orwell's thirty thousand word classic, Animal Farm. And so, again, it's it's a, it's really a short book, and uh, I was able to go through it in two settings, uh, two evenings, and. Uh, uh, of course, I'll be going back through it, you know, again, even as we get ready to have more discussion in the book club and then also on the radio. The The thing that I want to rely on to help me do this with you today is I want to go back to Michael Sheldon's class, or maybe I should call it the Great Courses series of lectures uh, titled George Orwell, A Sage for All Seasons. Now, I think all of you that, that are regular listeners of uh, JBL, you did hear uh, my interview with with Michael Sheldon, and uh, he's just a, a deep thinking guy. He's a, a really personal guy. He was able to uh, go to England and do a lot of research on George Orwell. I think he has a, a just a, a great view of him. He has a great grasp of of what he's written. And uh, to to kick off this uh, background about this book, I want to read to you uh, just a, maybe two or three quotes from his lecture. Uh, 19 on the series, and uh, the lecture is titled Orwell and the Fight for Animal Farm. Now, when when uh, he had written Animal Farm, World War II, uh, it was raging at the time, and also, you know, London was under the blitz, you know, the bombs from, um, uh, you know, Germany, and, uh, you know, one of the bombs they used was that they would just fly the bomb in and uh, I, I forget exactly the name of that bomb, uh, but uh, you know, it, 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 essentially what happened is the the flat that George Orwell and his wife and little son were living in, uh, a bomb hit it, and uh, uh, they didn't happen to be there that night, and uh, that was really uh, kind of good for them. 
But Orwell was kind of relieved about that. But then he was devastated when he realized that all that he had written for Animal Farm or what, what was to become Animal Farm was still at that flat. And so he went back to that flat and dug through all the rubble. I mean, the whole flat was completely demolished. And he found it. He found the script for Animal Farm. And uh, actually, it was intact. And so, you know, can you imagine? Uh, uh, the other day, I was writing an ar- I'm writing an article on feminism right now. And uh, I thought my computer, you know, it, it, uh, we had a power loss. And I couldn't remember if I had remember to save it before I left work that day. And uh, my, when I came back to work the next morning, <laughs> the computer had been shut down because of a power surge. And so I thought, oh no, I lost that whole article. But it turns out I, it was saved, so I felt like Orwell did. But here's what um, Sheldon has to say about the, you know this fight for Animal Farm. It says, as the Western Allies were storming into France... The Soviet Union was in a death struggle with the Germans on the Eastern Front. Knowing that the Soviets were killing Germans who might otherwise fight in France, many people in Britain and America were inclined to overlook Uncle Joe Stalin's dark side. And so, so I mean, you can read about this historically. Joseph Stalin was a cruel man. And yet, he was fighting to, well, you know, take out the Germans. And so, uh, I think people did overlook it. And, uh, you know, Orwell was really upset by this. And uh, Sheldon goes on to say, but in animal form, Orwell could not resist turning the sacred cow of Stalin into a big fat pig, a ravenous creature whose barnyard empire is a model of despotism. Orwell's little book of only 30,000 words made it easy for everyone to laugh at a monster who had seemed invulnerable while other wartime intellectuals in the West were struggling to make excuses for the Soviet system, Orwell was willing to risk his reputation, expose as many evils, and the risk would pay off commercially and artistically. Now, as, as uh, you would go through this course, you, you do, uh, we, do, we do discover that he really had trouble getting this book published. And, uh, you know, there were, you know, in this printing field, there were people that were actually pro-Soviet style uh, socialism or communism. And yet, uh, you know, when, when Orwell had been in the Spanish Civil War, he experienced how treacherous, you know, the Soviet style communism could be. And, uh, you know, he thought he was fighting on the right side, but, uh, uh, you know, Stalin was was uh, supporting the republic uh, in the revolution. He was providing arms for them, but uh, uh, some of the people fighting under those arms were considered Trotskyites, and uh, you know we can we'll talk about that a little bit more. And and uh, actually, Orwell had to flee Spain for his life because he was actually thought he was on the right side of socialism, but he was on the wrong side, and so he learned. Um, you know, very early about the, uh, you know, the power grab and the power struggle within Soviet communism. And uh, I think it really does apply a lot to what's going on in the United States today. Here's what uh, uh, Sheldon also says. It says, the war years had concentrated his, he means Orwell, his thinking on political questions. But while Orwell was hunkered down in the urban night nightmare of wartime London, 
what made him think back to the barnyard ways of the country. Incredibly, he was keeping chickens in the back garden of his London flat. David Astor, once the owner of the Observer newspaper in London, recalled Orwell's earnest advice on raising chickens in the close quarters of London. It's not a good idea to give the chickens names because then you can't eat them. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's really funny. And when you get, when you get into the book Animal Farm, I mean, he gives the pigs names. He gives the horses names. Uh, you know, he gives uh, some of the sheep. I don't think the sheep have names, but certainly the hens don't have names either. So, so that really comes through in the book. But uh, Sheldon goes on to say, ironically, that was part of the fun and the genius of writing Animal Farm. The sheer joy of giving names and personalities to the creatures in the teeming barnyard of Manor Farm. The pigs are the most memorable, with comrades Napoleon, Snowball, and Squealer playing out the swine version of Kremlin intrigue and backstabbing. The gluttony for power is behind the piggish urge to keep taking power away from others. What Orwell undermines so convincingly is the pretense that our usurpers are somehow our friends and they are not as corrupt as their manners reveals. Now, at the end of the book, this is the famous quote by the pigs. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And so uh, uh, you can see that you know Orwell was really going after uh, the Soviet-style communism, and he, he did know it was corrupt, and he does know, uh, or I should say he did know, that uh, you know, revolutions like the Soviet-style revolution, they could turn on each other on a dime. And, um, you know, uh, here's what uh, uh, Sheldon also says. Animal Farm's great seriousness about the nature of political change is balanced by a great comic sense in the early pages. A willingness to laugh at human failings in a way that is untinged with bitterness or despair. Orwell's other major books have so little humor in them that it is amazing to find so much in the pages of this small one. And so, so it is. It's a funny book. But uh, when you get into the second half, it really, really isn't so funny. So, so uh, those are some things to think about. I'm trying to whet your appetite to want to read this book. Now, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the cast of characters in the book and uh, show you the historical uh, representation and that, that uh, uh, you can see uh, Orwell's disdain I think, for, you know, the Soviet-style communism or socialism. So, uh, obviously, the, uh, the first uh, pig, and uh, his name is Old Major, and uh, he was a, a, even Orwell brings this out in the book, that he was a prize-winning boar. Um, uh, and uh, th- this, uh, as the story opens, uh, uh, Old Major calls this meeting, of all the animals, and of course they have to wait until the farmer or Mr. Jones, you know, goes to sleep, and he's a drunk anyway. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And um, uh, he goes to sleep. His wife is already snoring. And uh, uh, what Old Major does, he gets all the animals together, and he tells them about a dream he had, and uh, uh, he saw this this uh, uh, vision of a socialist utopia, and. Uh, 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 he wanted the the uh, the animals to uh, be inspired for a rebellion, and then uh, three days after, uh, 
you know, uh, describing this dream, he dies. And so uh, uh, essentially then that's when these other characters come on the scene. And then the the, uh, the next pig, uh, because uh, Old Major's dead now, uh, the next pig that comes on the scene is Napoleon. And uh, this is the pig who emerges as the leader of Animal Farm after the rebellion. And he is based on the figure of Joseph Stalin. And uh, even in the story, Napoleon uses military force or his nine loyal attack dogs to intimidate the other animals and consolidate his power over them. And so uh, Napoleon is very crafty, and he certainly proves to be very treacherous than his counterpart, Snowball. Now, Snowball is another pig, and uh, this is the pig who challenges Napoleon for control of the animal farm after the rebellion. Now... Snowball is very intelligent. Snowball can read. Snowball has ideas. Snowball kind of wants to do community organization. And, uh, you know, uh, he starts leagues like the, the, the Clean Tail League for cows, you know, to keep their tails clean. And so, so essentially, uh, Snowball is based on the historical, the real-life historical figure, Leon Trotsky. And uh, you know, Leon Trotsky was... A uh, an intellectual, and uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, you know uh, Snowball. I think uh, had some real uh, aid for Napoleon in developing the theory of animalism. You know, and I'm sure he helped uh, Stalin develop some of those things as well. But but eventually, uh, Trotsky and Stalin did not get along. Trotsky escaped from. Uh, eventually, he ran away from Russia. Uh, he went into a few other countries, and then essentially uh, Stalin had him had him executed or uh, assassinated, you know, outside of Russia. Okay, Squealer, uh, that's another pig. He's a pig who spreads Napoleon's propaganda among the other animals. Uh, Squealer justifies the pig's monopolization of resources and spreads false statistics pointing to the farm's success. So, so uh, you know, we'll talk about the seven commandments. But uh, pigs, um, I mean, the animals were supposed to act like animals and not act like humans. And essentially, as the story goes along, the pigs, uh, you know, who are the, the power mongers, uh, start acting like humans. They, uh, they get into the whiskey. They love the whiskey. They start sleeping in beds. Um, you know, they, they begin to um, uh, uh, live in a house by themselves. No one else is allowed in there with them. And so, but Squealer is, uh, you know, always uh, pointing out all these things about how successful everything is. And and in some ways, uh, I think every American has to begin to realize there is a propaganda machine going on in this country as well. We've seen it with COVID-19. We're still beginning to see it now with the uh, approach to the election. And, uh, you know, uh, everything that uh, one candidate does is absolutely bad. And the other thing that the additional candidate does is absolutely good. All of the media say that's all good. The, the media says the other the other candidate, it's all bad. And actually the reverse is true. But, you know, people believe this, that if you tell a lie big enough and bold enough, people will believe it. And that's what happens. And Orwell saw that years and years ago. And that's why he's written things like this. Um, there's a few other characters uh, in the in the book, there's there's a cute, uh, like I said, there's uh, there's Clover. She's a good-hearted female cart horse. Moses, uh, he's a tame raven. 
Uh, he's, he's always spreading stories of Sugar Candy Mountain, and that's the paradise to which animals supposedly go when they die. And uh, he represents how uh, you know socialism and communism can take advantage of religion. Um, Molly is a vain, flighty mare. Um, she, she's the one who used to pull Mr. Jones's carriage. Uh, she loves human beings. Uh, she loves being groomed. She loves being pampered. You know, she's really not that interested in um, animalism. Um, uh, you have Muriel as a white goat. Uh, she's pretty intelligent. She can read the Seven Commandments. Of course, Mr. Jones, the drunk farmer, is uh, he represents our Nicholas, who uh, was forced into abdication because he really could not rule properly, and people were starving at the time, just like the, the animals starve on the farm. Uh, there is a Mr. Frederick, and uh, he's a tough, uh, tough, shrewd operator of Pinchfield. That's a neighboring farm, and uh, his character is based on Adolf Hitler, uh, who ruled Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And uh, Mr. Frederick proves to be an untrustworthy neighbor. And so, so you can see where um, Orwell was going with a lot of these things. And this is all, this is all proven. Uh, I thought maybe I'd give you just a little, a short plot overview as well, um, just to maybe uh, continue a little bit more with this. Um, I'd also like to read you the Seven Commandments, um, you know, of, of animalism. And uh, uh, they, the pigs begin to violate and change all these. So uh, I think I already mentioned that um, uh, Major is like the, the prize-winning boar on Manor Farm. And uh, he has a dream, and uh, in his dream, all animals live together with no human beings to oppress or control them. And uh, uh, this is where the whole theory of uh, they needed to have a revolution. And, uh, uh, you know, they snowball Napoleon and Squiller. They develop a philosophy called animalism. And uh, when, the, every, when the revolution gets going, there's the big battle at uh, Calshed, and they, they win. They get... Uh, Mr. Jones kicked out. At first, the uh, the farm does prosper, and uh, actually, after the Battle of the Cowshed, uh, the farm does really well for a while, and everybody's really happy. They're all working together, and then the whole problem between Napoleon and Snowball, uh, you know, takes effect, and uh, uh, you know, eventually Napoleon uh, forces Snowball off, and then. Any problem that comes up on the farm, it's always snowballs doing it in secret and just shows what Stalin did to to, uh, to Trotsky. Let me read you the seven commandments of animalism and uh, uh, <laughs> you can see how it all changed. It says that the first commandment is whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Number three, no animal shall wear clothes. Four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. All animals are equal. <laughs> and, and by the end of the book, every one of those commandments has changed. And, uh, um, you know, even the pigs start walking on two legs. They love alcohol. They sleep in beds. And uh, uh, their final change of commandment number seven is all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And so, so uh, you know, that's, that's uh, just to give you some highlights from the story. And so uh, uh, that's, that's really just a light taste for it. 
there are a lot of humorous things in the book. And so, uh, so I really want to encourage you to, uh, to uh, tune in for our, our next two programs to hear the students, what they have to say. But also, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to make sure that you go ahead and read the book as well. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. So next time, we will feature our SCP Campers discussion of George Orwell's classic Animal Farm. Now, this is an unplanned interruption to our summer series, but you can buy Animal Farm at Amazon.com. You can find uh, a copy in your local bookstore, I'm sure. And of course, you can also check your local library. So, uh, So make sure you get the book. Make sure you read it. I think you'll enjoy it. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. And uh, it's, it's soon coming time. I'll have my assistant back, so we're going to be beefing up um, the Facebook page. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com